Yeah, let's do it. Ready. Mm-hmm. Hey, everyone. Welcome back to another episode of THC True Hollywood Crime. I'm your host, Mariah. This is your other host, Bailey. It's me. Welcome to a cold, chilly fall evening in NorCal. I had frost this morning. Legit. Like, oh, yeah. Frost. I, yeah. We have mm-hmm. to. I've been having to warm up my car in yep. the mornings so mm-hmm. we can get in it to go to school mm-hmm. right down the street from my house. Yeah. It's cold. Probably, it's cold. again, California cold. <laughs> Not Wisconsin cold, but it's cold to us. Mm-hmm. You know, the last time we talked about the weather was our last episode. <laughs> if you guys um, follow us on Instagram, and if you don't, you really should, THC Podcast on Instagram, you will know that we lost an entire episode, and I'm upset about it there's just nothing we can do spooky season was supposed to be three episodes long and the third episode was supposed to be and we recorded it the story behind the conjuring three and then obviously b reviewed the conjuring three and a surprise movie yep and i fucked up i thought for some reason i could have sworn up and down that we had done an episode on the conjuring two mm-hmm. we argued about it it Ob- was fun obviously the ogs <laughs> remember that the conjuring one was our what first year anniversary our first year anniversary and then i swear i have one of those like fake matrix memories of us doing the conjuring two yeah so i skipped straight to the conjuring three we did a whole episode great episode That's so good and my com- it just it it just vanished mm-hmm. we saved it I even I know what name we saved it yeah. under. If you pull up the file on my software, the file comes up and our vocal tracks are just gone. Yeah. And well, so the only thing we can think of is that Ed and Lorraine Warren, this was their sign that we need to do them in order. We, we should need have to do it right. done a Conjuring 2 episode first. Mm-hmm. So... And like you said, last laugh was on us. We had all that good luck, all of spooky season. And then boom. We kept talking about it's a Halloween miracle. Mm -hmm. It's a spooky season miracle. And at the end of the day, in true like Halloween fashion, it bit us in the ass. It really did. Which that's what Halloween's for. It is. I appreciate it. I appreciate the mischief. Absolutely. I just hope that it's done now. Because if this happens every time we record an episode, then you'll never hear from us again. Sorry, guys. Love you. Bye. (laughs) So let's backtrack a little bit because we will re-record that episode one day. Of course. But some things that we have to talk about that we talked about then that will not be relevant after now is like our review on Halloween. Our scathing review. We dragged the new Halloween. Halloween ends. Sure. Who fucking cares? Because it's not worth it. We were so disappointed, so upset with the new Halloween movie. It, It feels like disrespectful yeah to Long end it story that way short we're upset that we feel like they did michael dirty we feel like they did Lori dirty there it was unnecessary to add in new character twists and plot not on just the third to not, one not and to not let it go anywhere right all for nothing spoiler alert Spoiler. Michael's 145 years old in this one. <laughs> Decrepit. And he like looks into Comet. the eyes of this like teenage boy who then like imprints on him and then this boy becomes a fucking killer but he needs michael to like show him how and then it becomes like a buddy comedy which is your pet peeve you're like stop making him a person literally him He's jason freddie like yeah. they're monsters mm-hmm. they're murderers i'm not saying me and b aren't rooting for them yeah. but they're they're mindless killing they machines. are what they are anywho just to kill that kid off like we even said okay if this is the end of like Michael as we know him and Lori 
And then set him up. Then set him up to be like the new Michael Myers, which they've done before, correct? Makes sense. Yeah. And one of the Halloween sequels, Jamie. he like imprinted on somebody. Jamie. Yeah. Lori's daughter. Yeah. So, so his niece. They've done it before. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Anyways, they made Michael look like a fucking joke. I there did. was nothing scary about Michael in this one. It was less violent than the last one. So Way we less. argued, had they put this one first mm-hmm. and then the second one last, it would have been fine. Yeah. That would have been different. This should have been number two. Yeah. And then the second one we really liked. I, I think that one's called Halloween Kills. I think so. Should have been number three. Agreed. Um, and then you can end it however you want to end it. We yes. don't really care about that. But storyline wise number two should have been the last should have been number three because they also brought back the original cast of kids they were on their like hometown vigilante shit michael put up probably the highest numbers that he's ever put up in the whole franchise i believe he i looked it up i think he kills exactly 31 people that we get to see this we visibly get to count 31 dead bodies. That's not even counting the bodies that we know he killed. And I don't get care. To see. Yeah. The 31. That's a huge that, number. That's the way to end it. For sure. And I'll even up the ante. If they're going to end it by killing this version of Michael, then it should have been 30 kills. Michael being the 31st. The 31st. <laughs> Fucking roll the credits. I mean, come on. Or Lori being We're the 31st. Doing jobs for them. Or Lori being the 31st. <laughs> yeah. Which I, is what it should have been. Yeah. And roll the credits. I mean, come on. <laughs> Give us the Oscar, ladies and gentlemen. So, anyways, yeah, I think you gave it. Did you even give it a full I knife? I think I gave it like a negative. I'm so mad about it. Where you were you really looked upset. at me afterwards. You're like, let's go have another drink. And I'm like, I'm too upset. Like, I literally can't. Like, I woke up the next morning and my husband's like, are you okay? And I'm like, I don't think I am. <laughs> I'm shook it. It's upsetting. Mm-hmm. Anyways. Uh,. You know what else is upsetting? I have a list. What do you want to know? Today I read in the news. Again, if you're a listener, you'll remember back in June, my coworker was attacked. Yes. Right? Mm-hmm. The kid was sentenced today. Mm-hmm. 30 days. Four years. Okay. But still, that's like the max. And uh, Is it because he was a teenager? A, a juvenile. Yeah. So it came out that at the time that he attacked this person, he was on probation already Mm -hmm. for vandalism and theft Mm -hmm. and like false 911 calls and this and that. And then he told whatever doctor that reviewed him that that night he had smoked weed and taken Xanax and he doesn't remember oh, okay. fucking taking a fence post <laughs> and beating the shit out of this woman and then dragging her body to a corner where he strangled her. Yeah. It doesn't because re- of some Xanax. Because of some Xanny. That's what I do when I'm Xanny. Yeah. No. Fuck. Yeah. So Fuck even that the guy. judge, the judge was like woefully like, this is the most I can do. Yeah. And it's not enough because that woman's never going to have her life back ever again. She's physically fine. Yeah. But she is a shell of what she was. Yeah. And he'll have a life in four years. It's so hard because I do understand he is young. So I guess if he's only going to get four years, all you can hope for is that somehow he's rehabilitatable. And I think that's why I'm so bitter about the whole thing is because 
I'm doubtful in the system and that he's gonna get the help that he could probably not and that's what makes me even more he's gonna do four that. years he's gonna be released and he's and gonna worse off gonna than he was going, he was and going and going and going yeah he'll be worse off yep so yeah yay guys oh, it sucks and then also we had a little string of vandalism did you Big hear about time. that yeah um somebody burnt what they do they burnt a swastika outside of a synagogue yeah um which is horrible and then the night the day or night before or after um we have like a mural in our town for mmiw the missing and murdered indigenous women and of course this is native american heritage month yep and he tried to face that although i do have to say um he didn't do a very good job i think he just like threw something at it it didn't look like like he didn't paint over it or anything it doesn't matter it's it doesn't the matter hate behind it but mm-hmm. what reminded me of that is obviously he was caught thank goodness but he had just been released on parole for some other bullshit right. he was doing insane and it's just like, god damn yeah and so now what is he gonna do how much time is he gonna do now and then we're gonna let him out on parole and he's gonna was gonna escalate because as we know it escalates was gonna escalate to physically hurting somebody right. who he thinks is jewish or a person of color like how far do we let it escalate for real no exactly um so that reminds me last deleted episode we did also discuss the stockton serial killer yep had been captured and um are we 100 percent sure that it's that person oh i don't captured? know oh i don't know either yeah. i'm just wondering you yeah know, no if anybody knows we know how much they like to like let's get this case closed yeah. and just lock up anybody no from what i remember reading last week i felt pretty fairly confident that they had gotten the right person and the most interesting thing I remember about the article was the fact that they had used a 3D printed gun yeah and we and just how crazy that is like non-traceable like a burner phone but to kill people yeah fucking blows my mind that that people can do that I know it's wild yeah this world Um, I, I was thinking about it before he was caught because um, I've been doing those like morning walks and before yeah. the time change, it's like I would get up at, I would try to leave the door around six to go on a little walk and it was like nighttime Dark. still. Yeah. Like the moon was out yeah. nighttime. Absolutely. Um, and there's other people walking, you know, yeah. usually old people out on their fucking early morning walks. But I was thinking about it because we, the neighborhood we live in has like lots of little like weird private roads and stuff, mm-hmm. like nothing well lit or anything. Yeah. And I was like, okay, this is like of all people. I'm like, I would be that person that like there's a serial killer loose in our general area. We don't live right near Stockton, but we're still in Northern California. Stockton's in Northern California. And you're walking in the dark. And I'm walking in the dark. And I'm like, these are the people that we talk about. We're like, why in the fuck would you go walking around in the dark when there's a serial killer loose? It's funny because I thought I don't fit the demographic, though. thought the exact opposite riding my bike here Mm -hmm. is of the people in their houses seeing me dressed like a vagrant right i'm literally i look like a hobo with my multiple backpacks yeah and my three hooded sweaters yeah but and the crew's like with my little flashing lights like checking out the neighborhood in the middle of the night on a thursday i'm casing the joint could you imagine you getting pulled over for that shit it'd be so funny but that's what i was thinking i'm like i look so fucking suspicious Uh just cruising in the middle of the night on a thursday because it's a thursday guys by the way happy thursday (laughs) thirsty thursday 
but yeah, so that's funny. I'm picturing you being the victim for walking <laughs> at six o'clock in the morning and me you riding my like bike. A uh-huh. Crazy person. All right, give us some uh, new news. Okay, there's not a whole hell of a lot in new news. I mean, it's been an election week, so mm-hmm. I don't give a fuck about any of that. Yeah. Um, so yeah, besides our local new news, Eminem got inducted in the Hall of Fame. Yep. I didn't get to see any of that, but I, I didn't. Mean, I think I've seen clips on the tickety talkity. Yeah. Duh. He's the shit. I will say real quick, the clip I saw was he had started, he was like, I like he basically was saying that he has to give respect to like the people who influenced him, mm-hmm. like growing up or whatever. And he had a long fucking list I'm of people. Sure. He's old. But <laughs> he is old. Um but the point is, is the very first rap group person that he listed before Tupac, Nas, Dr. Dre, mm-hmm. Mob Deep, before any of these people that I guarantee he listed, Two Live Crew was the top of his list. And I Fuck really yeah. thought that was funny. That's amazing. <laughs> and I cracked up. I told my husband because my husband is a old school Two Live Crew fan. Yeah, because they're both fucking old. I know, because they're both old. <laughs> yeah. They had them on cassette tapes. Oh my gosh. So cute. <laughs> Um, and then obviously Rihanna had her ex Fenty show where she's out and about talking about being a mom and all those. Clips I didn't see are, any of that. Oh my god, it's so cute. Because no, e- every up person, Rihanna? yeah, is just asks like, "What's it like to be a mom?" And every answer she gives is different, and every answer she gives is so heartfelt and so relatable and so true. I and always knew so she'd beautiful. be a good mom. Yeah. Um, her like longtime assistant, who I think is like one of her friends from Barbados had a baby a few years ago and Rihanna was like, okay, so like that's my baby, bring the baby, <laughs> yeah. like keep your job, bring the baby. Yeah. And so the, the, that baby, I don't know about anymore cause now she's probably old enough to be in school, but all over Rihanna's social media for the past good handful of years, yeah, that, that baby's baby. fucking everywhere with them yeah. all over the world. And it's always like Rihanna carrying the baby around. I'm sure. So yeah, <laughs> no, just so sweet. Yeah. And like, um other than that what aaron carter died that's sad yeah it's sad he had demons sad he didn't get the help they needed and i think it. it's probably yeah. pretty sad it sounds like his parents weren't the greatest no and he leaves behind a baby so oh, i didn't even know he had a baby yeah that sucks so that's you know it's hard. just un- whoa that was <laughs> aggressive but yeah, and it was hard like um i saw footage the backstreet boys like played the following night and they're like this is so sad and they put up like r.i.p aaron and like they like sang a song to him and Nick was crying. I'm like, that is sad. But if my brother died, sorry, fans, performing. we're canceling the fucking show. Yeah, he has a twin sister. So like, obviously, I think that would be really hard as a twin to lose like a piece of you. Yeah. So yeah, just sad. Yeah, it sucks. Um, he was so cute when he was younger. We were looking up because I had to tell kidding? I had to tell the, the Gen Zers that I were. Well, they might be like baby millennials. Because I'm not I sure. Mean, we were like. We were too Nick old. Carter. Yeah, we were yeah. too old. But the girls I work with are too young. Yeah, how funny. Because he was more like um, maybe like my sister. Yeah. Like that Hannah Montana era, yeah. Lizzie McGuire show right, era. That we just missed. Generation of kids. Uh-huh. Um, and so I was like, one girl that I work with had no idea who the fuck I was talking about. She saw who and I, whatever. Another girl did remember, and that's because she used to watch... I think he was on 
maybe the Lizzie McGuire show or something. He was on like one of those well, Disney shows. Well, he dated Hillary Duff. Yeah. And then I, I told her about, I'm like, he dated Hillary Duff and then he dated Lindsay Lohan. There yeah. was a whole triangle and those two had beef. Oh, yeah. And she was like, what? Yeah. But I guess she was, when she was really little, a huge Hillary Duff fan. Mm. And so we were looking at old pictures of Aaron. I'm mm-hmm. like, he really was really cute. Well, that's why it's sad is to see like. He was talented. Such a. Mm-hmm. And then she pulled up Hillary Duff's first album on her Spotify. She's like, this used to be my jam. And it's so it's like so bubblegum, poppy, cute. And yeah. I'm like, that's really sweet. I know. <laughs> <sighs> um, I had given two uh reviews last episode i watched all of the watcher right yep on netflix and you liked it but there's a loophole that you're like it again it's great actors the cast is huge it's well done but you're just like the story is definitely lacking i did see a thing on tiktok after you mentioned this of course where they were like i guess again spoiler alert i don't even know what happens in the show because i've Mm -hmm. never seen it but they're like you're going to spend all this money on all those cameras and not put one on the fucking mailbox? No, literally. <laughs> like, that's what I'm saying. The story itself, it's like, it's really stretching. Yeah. But it is based on something that did happen. All right. Maybe so, we'll yeah. do it one day. Um, um, I have a list. Yes. I found a website that lists all the Lifetime movies that are based on true stories. And I now have a good, like, miniature notebook page list of I Lifetime movies. I think this week was a lifetime prior to netflix probably i think so and they have all kind because they have obviously a lot of like our regular air quote true crime yeah but they also will have ones about like a con man Mm -hmm. or something like that where it's like still true crime but it's not just like murder and kidnapping so excited so we have i mean lifetime alone will will keep us us fed for a year (laughs) so you mix in other movies with that no problem light work (sighs) and then um Oh, well, fitting. Well, kind of. No, wrong boy band. But I watched Cursed Friends on Hulu. And I told you that was really cute because yeah. they're friends. They dress up as sync. Yeah. And they have this little dance or whatever in this journal. And there's a fun twist where they get cursed as adults. And it's just, again, great cast. Joey Fatone as Joey Fatone. What more do you need? What more do you need? So, yeah, that was on Hulu. Good times. Great. That was that. Perfect. I think we covered... Everything last, from last week. Last week. week or, yeah, last episode. We did celebrate Halloween. Oh yeah, together. that was fun. Mm-hmm. We went trick or treating. Yeah, it was all right. It was. I mean, for the littles, they yeah. fucking scored. And they did a great job. Yeah, they kept up, and I think we were only out for about an hour. And even my big kids, because my husband was willing to stay out with my big kids, and I'm like, nah, we're done. Thank God we were only out for as long as we were. It was perfect. It was then I perfect. Had to go wash that fucking blue hair. I know, and also like, How I'm like, great, less candy. Need? Yeah, less candy that I have to worry about y'all eating. Even though less it was walking still that I have to do. So much, yeah. It's still so much, but my big kids ate it in like a week. Yeah, maybe, maybe not. Definitely, the chocolate's gone. There might oh. still be like suckers and stuff left, mm-hmm. but like all the good candy's gone. Yeah, I'm sure Dad helped a little. No. Never. No, never. I love all the hidden wrappers that I find from yeah. the two of them throughout yeah. the house. I'm like, you guys do a better job or just. You know what's funny is Zoe doesn't even really like. She doesn't like sweets very much. She yeah. doesn't. She likes the idea of it. Of She's course. like, ooh, candy. Yes. But she doesn't really eat it. For and sure. So 
she's taken to like she's like spread them out throughout the house so i'll just be picking up her toys and, and there's like some. candy in a teapot and i'm like oh there's some candy so she has hers like hidden around but for no good reason i think she's playing with it yeah. and not eating it and yeah. it's ending up just spread out throughout the house <laughs> i'm like well listen when That's the kids when the big kids clean up maybe they'll have themselves a little That's surprise a, it's treat a scavenger hunt <laughs> That's a good incentive same thing with like cake donuts cupcakes like she gets excited about it and then she'll like maybe eat some of the frosting off and then be like, nah, I'm done. I, I don't was want gonna this. say guaranteed at every birthday party where there's pizza and cupcakes. Violet eats the cheese off mm-hmm. the pizza, mm-hmm. leaves the crust, and then we'll eat the frosting off of the cupcake. Yeah. And it's more excited about the lemonade or if there's soda or something. Yeah, yeah. That's what she's more excited. I'm like, yeah, that's my kid. Yeah, it's so funny. Mm-hmm. And that's my oldest. My oldest will always choose a drink over a treat mm-hmm. every time yeah i'll let them pick out one all the kids can pick out like one thing from the gas station my oldest will always pick a drink and my middle kid will always pick a snack yeah i want both yeah right well they can only have one each cool anything else be no i'm gonna save the rest of my surprises for after Oh, my God. Surprises. Well, there's something that's going to come up during mine. And then I'm pretty sure we reviewed a perfume last week because I think there's one in my bag. And I didn't clean it out. We did review it. And I don't think we were. Oh, it was garbage. Well, I don't think it's garbage. I think we were just, again, we don't trust those motherfuckers. The shit people put online to describe all their fancy words, all their magic words. So apparently this is episode 80. Sure. Should have been episode 81, but whatevs. Whatever. We've got multiples of other episodes. It's fitting for us. We're a shit show. We do have multiples, but then I re-pick up the count. Like, we just pretend that, like, for instance, 51 never existed. Right. It'll be like 50, 50, 52, (laughs) you know? Yeah. Um, All right. So first of all, if you want to play our THC drinking game at home... Take a drink of whatever you're drinking anytime. What did we decide our new sixth one was? That happened last episode, too. Oh, that's hard. Fuck. That we lost. And that <laughs> was that. a really good one. Uh, the train? The train. The train. God, the, the fucking train yeah. last time? Oh, my that God. That should have been a red flag right there. <laughs> that was Ed and Lorraine speaking directly to us, telling us, like, it's shut not, the fuck like, up. Because every five seconds, the train that goes by my house was so extra loud. <laughs> and it was so unnecessary. We're like, why? Is there another Just train? laying on the horn. <laughs> Supply shortage where? Because the trains are going through our hometown on a regular basis. Yeah. Everyone's Shein orders are on those fucking trains, guys. <laughs> Come find them. So, yes, if you can hear the train <laughs> okay. or if we mention so, the train. Okay. So, here's our here's our uh, drinking game. Um. Anytime we cheers, mention a badass big sister, mention our favorite TV show, Monk, uh, past episode, you hear the train, or if we spill something, yes. take Those a drink, updated, or a hit, mm-hmm. or a lick of your cupcake. Do something. <laughs> Eat a piece of Halloween candy. Cheers. Cheers. Ugh. We're drinking regular wine, no ice, because it's so cold tonight. Mm. So you guys will really miss out on my ice crunchies. Sorry, guys. Yeah. We've got happy dads on ice in the sink. Love a happy dad. Mm -hmm. Yeah, because I had cold garbage flavors. Mm. It would have been 
tropical mango and ginger peach. Put a fucking bullet right <laughs> through my goddamn like, brain. That's why I was like, she's for sure going to want room temperature good flavors. Of course. Yeah. We have it on ice. It'll be fine. <laughs> this episode, we are doing the, I don't know what do you want to call it, the Cleveland abductions, Cleveland Cleveland kidnappings by one um, Ariel Castro. Can we shout out our Instagram person that answered it right? Sure, if I had their name off the top of my head. I think I'll pull it up. But yeah, you go. She's from Cleveland. That's why. Yeah, I thought it was so cool. <laughs> so she um, she saw that I, I posted uh, Ariel Castro's house as like a, who do you think we're doing this week? And one of our followers who actually engages with me quite a bit on Instagram got it because she's from Cleveland. She made mention of how much it affected her and her community when she was growing up. And I said, yep, B and I know exactly how that feels because we grew up in fucking true crime central, apparently. Trisha Millam? M-I-L-A-M? Sure. Yeah. Thanks, Trish. Is it okay if I call you Trish? It is now. (laughs) (laughs) Trisha. Trisha. Thank you. Yes, you got it right. Good job. I know. And it does suck. And we... As always, talk about it with as much respect as we can in the sense that, like, you won't be getting a sympathetic tone from us when it comes to fucking Ariel Castro. No. Fuck that guy. Fuck that guy. Um, and, of course, you know, our anniversary episode, we talked about it. J.C. Lee Dugard from one of my hometowns. She was held captive for, like, 18 years. And then, of course, Lacey Peterson's from our backyard. Polly Class, which I can't find a, a movie. movie on but well, that's shocking poly class w- was I know. huge for us it completely changed my childhood there's like before poly class and after poly class and after poly class my house went on lockdown the windows were locked the doors were locked the two full-grown rottweilers were trained literally outside my bedroom door i remember getting to stay up to watch like the news about it like the late news Mm -hmm. and just my parents just glued to the tv like what the fuck and for my mom to like for something to stop her in her tracks and actually think about like my safety and well-being it was huge yeah because normally my mom's like a live and let live kind of a loosey-goosey yeah what happens happens like it's all good (laughs) until it's not (laughs) until it's not so that one was huge for us and Mm -hmm. that wasn't super close to us because that was in petaluma but it was fucking close enough to scare our parents Mm -hmm. yeah all right i got everything this episode um from an article in the guardian it was actually an interview with uh, one of the victims written by simon Hattonstone. Mm. Um, I glanced at all things interesting article. Of course, you're going to glance at Wikipedia. I listened to a two part episode of a podcast we've used on this show before called Hostage. Oh, and that's a podcast original. They're all literally hosted and produced by the same people. But those people all do a great job. That's mm-hmm. where you get like serial killers. Um, a few other podcasts I've mentioned on here. It's like the same team of people on podcast. Cool. Always a great great podcast let's be friends yeah right they're like who are you sorry um an article on abcnews.com and an article on people.com okay you ready yeah michelle knight who was born on april 23rd 1981 uh was unfortunately born into an extremely abusive neglectful family 
when she was really young, they were basically living in a car. And she got a little bit older, around five or so, they moved into basically like a trap house or like a crack house yeah. where lots of people who were not her family lived with her. Lots of, you know, strangers living together in this house, probably all on something. And that led to, unfortunately, her, by the way, spoiler alert for everything. If you don't know anything about the Cleveland abductions, just everything bad that could happen happens in this fucking story. Yeah, so just awful. be ready. Um, unfortunately, she starts being sexually abused from the time that she was five from the same man over and over and over again that was living in the house. This leads to her eventually running away as a teen. By 15 years old, she's like homeless. She's living under a bridge. At some point, she gets hooked up with like a local drug dealer and he kind of like teaches her game, basically, like how to survive on the streets, how to like make money, how to keep yourself you know, sheltered and all Mm -hmm. of that. He ends up going down and she actually ends up getting pregnant. I'm not sure by who, but she's pregnant at 17 and basically moving now back home because where else is she going to go when she's pregnant that young and uh, living the life she's living? She eventually has baby Joey, which is the best thing that's ever happened in her whole life. Nothing has ever made her happier. She's a great mom for her age and for how well she knows how to be a mom, mm-hmm. right? No. It's so hard. You're a baby raising a baby. And you, have, and you weren't raised. And you have no good examples to yeah, go off of. You You're were, winging it. For real. Like, And I'm sure it's not like you even have a TV to watch like a TV mom be a mom. Like, What resources do you have? Nothing. But she's doing the best she can. She's doing a great job. When Joey is two years old, Michelle's mom's boyfriend um, snaps or lashes out at Joey and he ends up breaking his leg. Mm. Of course, Michelle rushes him to the ER and this leads to a CPS case and it leads to CPS taking baby Joey from Michelle and putting him in temporary foster care. And the way that she can get him back is um, one to like, clean up her home life situation, which I don't know how she's going to do that at 19. And two, she has to attend these like regular meetings with a social worker. She had, they're mandatory. You have to attend to them. So that is where she is on her way to on August 23rd, 2002. She is on her way to a meeting with this social worker. Um, The person who was supposed to give her a ride bails last minute. So now she's like walking. She's lost. She doesn't know how to get there. Mm -hmm. Um, and at this point, because she's running late, she's like panicked and she's upset and she's frustrated and she's just trying to get to this fucking meeting because she wants her kid back. Obviously. She stops at like a local dollar store for directions when a man overhears her frantically asking for directions and offers her a ride. She recognizes this man as Ariel Castro. She's actually friends with his daughter. Okay. And so even though she is self-sufficient and very street smart, um, she is kind of panicked and she does know this guy kind of well enough to accept the ride. Yeah. Ariel Castro was born July 1960 in Puerto Rico. He's one of nine children, although those are not all of his mom's kids. Papa's a rolling stone. And he has multiple kids, multiple women. 
of course, he also comes from a severely abusive household, which leads to he talks about it later that he understands like how abused people think. Yeah. And he understands how abused people are going to react to different situations. So that's kind of fucked up. Uh, His family eventually settles in Cleveland. He's a normal teen. He's a fairly gifted musician, has a pretty normal adolescence. He eventually starts dating um, a girl named Gramilda. She's their neighbor and she becomes his long term girlfriend. And eventually the couple moves in together to a house on 2207 Seymour Avenue. It's a two story 1,400 square foot house with four bedrooms, one bath, and one unfinished basement. Mm. They go on to have four kids together, Emily, Arlene, Angie, and Anthony. He never abuses his kids. In fact, he's a good dad to the kids. The kids remember their interactions with him always being good, positive experiences. BTK was a good dad. However... He beat the fucking dog shit out of Gramilda. Oh. He broke her bones multiple times. Many cracked, fractured skulls. Damn. Loves to throw her down the stairs, which we will learn later on a is a real favorite move of his. A real signature for this mm-hmm. piece of fucking garbage. Um, and one time he even beats her so badly that she ends up with a blood clot in her brain, which leads to an inoperable tumor. Which I'm not sure when Gramilda dies. It's way in the future from this. But I believe that this ends up leading towards her having brain cancer, which takes her out at some point. Fuck. Mm -hmm. That's crazy. So Gramilda finally gets it together and grabs all the kids and leaves his sorry ass in 1996. Like I said, takes her kids with her, leaving Ariel... All alone in the house. Back to August 2002. Michelle's just gotten into his like beat up truck. The first red flag she says that she notices is that there's no no door handle on the inside of the truck. But again, it's like a beat up truck. So she's like, okay, that's weird. But, you know, kind of a piece of shit car. So no, I get it. Then he starts talking to her about all these puppies he has. He has this like litter of puppies and does she like puppies and blah, 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 blah. And she's like, "Okay." He's like, actually, I have a bunch extra. Do you want to take one to your son? Joey, does he want a puppy? And of course, she's going to be like, yeah. Uh, Yeah. He's like, "Okay, let's stop by the house. We'll check on the puppies and I'll grab one for Joey. She actually kind of doesn't want to. She sort of regrets saying yes because she's running so late. But you're also not going to be rude to the person giving you a ride. And it's a puppy. I know. And also, you're not going to be like, no, asshole, go do this. Yeah, you know, for sure. So they stop by his house on Seymour Avenue. The second red flag that she notices is that there are no puppy noises in the house. Mm. And he's like, oh, they must all be sleeping. He's all, let's go upstairs and find them, grab mm-hmm, them. Mm-hmm. And that's kind of her third red flag is being ushered upstairs. That's weird. And he takes her into one of his, because all of his kids are like older now, um, at least teenagers yeah. to like young adults. Yeah. And so he ushers her upstairs into like one of his daughter's um, old rooms. 
And she said that this like overwhelming feeling of being scared. Her gut instinct told her to get out. This is a bad idea. She said her whole body started shaking. And then he slammed the door shut and locked it. Yeah. He hits Michelle in the head, not enough to knock her out, but enough to like discombobulate her. Yep. He then ties her up with an extension cord, her hands, her feet, and around her neck. Super tight. It's like cutting into her skin. He then masturbates over her. And uh, when he's done, he proceeds to hang Michelle from the ceiling, from like, I'm assuming like a ceiling beam, Mm -hmm. where she can barely breathe because she's basically hung up by her neck and her wrists. And then he leaves her for three days. Three days. No food, no water, no contact from him. Yep. At some point, she assumes she's just going to die in there. Mm-hmm. Uh, think about how long three days would be. Think no. about how long an hour would be tied up like that. No. Three days would be a fucking eternity. I would only hope to pass out. That's all you can hope for. Yeah. Ariel eventually returns and cuts her down, gives her some McDonald's, and then he forces her into the basement where he strips her naked Chains her to a pipe, puts a motorcycle, like a full mm -hmm, face mask, motorcycle helmet on her head. So uh, it'll help muffle her screams. And she also can't see well now because obviously the basement's dark and those helmets have like a little visor. Much like the one I wore for our bloody Galentine's Day episode because I needed a gas mask, Mm -hmm. but I didn't have one. So Mm -hmm. I taped a picture of a gas mask onto Nick's motorcycle helmet there you go so if you need a reference go look at that on instagram and this whole thing is very much reminding me so far of like um was that colleen stan where he like kidnapped her and put a box on her head and then chained her to a pipe naked yeah was that her uh-huh we're gonna talk about that again later oh i can't wait I bet. no you have no idea this, of course, is when the rapes and the beatings start. Um, Michelle's family does file a missing persons report after a while, especially after, you know, she obviously no shows that, that really meeting, important social worker, which social is worker her. meeting. Mm-hmm. But the FBI is just like, or the cops, not the FBI, the cops are like, ah, she's probably a runaway. She has a history of running away. She's upset she lost her son. She's just like some druggy piece of trash. Like For who sure. gives a fuck? Obviously. And her her family doesn't really give a fuck either. They're not looking. No. But yeah, they're not they're not handing out flyers or doing neighborhood whatever watches, scans, mm-hmm. looking for shit like I would be doing, pounding on every fucking door I came across. Yeah. Um so the cops let it go, the family lets it go, and no one is officially looking for poor Michelle. It's awful to think about. She's Alone in that basement for weeks. And then eventually she's moved up back to the upstairs bedroom where she's still chained up and the door is always locked. But he does eventually give her a TV, mm-hmm. which becomes a lifeline. Again, this is like J.C. Lee Dugard. Yeah. The TV becomes your whole fucking world. Of course. Um, And this he also gives it to her. I mean, he's not trying to be nice to her. He gives it to her really to prove to her the fact that no one's looking for her. And she realizes she she's the watching news the news and, and there's nothing. Not a mention about her. Mm-hmm. And she's like, oh, fuck. They don't give a shit about no me. No one's coming. She picks up this habit of talking to Joey, who obviously is not there. But she talks to him like he is there. 
incessantly and it drives Ariel crazy. And so to try to distract her from doing this, he gives her a puppy and it's instant love. She falls in love with this dog. Duh. Of course. And the dog loves her and they have a great couple months together until Ariel comes in drunk one night, savagely beats and rapes her. And the dog, being the best dog ever, goes to protect her, bites Ariel, and he just snaps and breaks the dog's neck right in front of her. And then she said that he just took the body and threw him in the garbage like a piece of trash. So she's fucking devastated. Yeah. However, she is learning how this guy works. You got to remember, she's very street smart. And this is not, unfortunately, the first time she's ever been a victim of abuse or sexual abuse. This is not new to her. Right. Uh, In fact, she's just kind of starting to, she's just comes to terms with the fact that like she's cursed basically is how she looks at it. Like I just have a cursed life. This is all that it's ever going to be. This is all it's ever been. This is all it's ever going to be. She figures out that Ariel really gets off on her pain and her suffering. So she starts becoming completely complacent. Not acting like she enjoys it, but she just shuts down emotionally. Yeah. She doesn't let him see that he, that he's hurting her. Uh, she goes basically blank-faced, poker-faced. Yeah. And she even sometimes has enough in her to, like, mock him. God, to be so strong. And this obviously takes away a lot of his power, which pisses him off even more. But guess what? Like, what are you going to do about it? You're already doing the worst thing you can do. The only thing that would be worse than this is if you kill her. And that's and probably a fucking a, better, yeah, a blessing. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So he's really powerless because he's he's played his hand. You're doing the worst thing you can do to a person. Nothing is worse than this. April 2003, after about eight months living alone in this bedroom, Michelle notices that Ariel is spending a lot of time in one of the other rooms upstairs. Mm. She's hearing a lot of noise and a lot of like, you know, moving and shaking around. She's like, what's going on? And then she's watching TV and she's watching the news and it comes across the TV that 16 year old Amanda Berry has gone missing one day before her 17th birthday. And now Michelle knows what that room was being prepared for. So April 21st, around 8 p.m., Amanda's getting off her shift at Burger King where she works. She's walking home and she's on the phone with her sister. I'm going to assume a badass big sister. Thank you. I'll drink to that. Yeah. Why not? I actually don't know if that's true, but I'm going to assume it is. Uh, And that's why I'm going to take the stretch. And as she's walking, her friend's dad, Ariel Castro, pulls up and offers her a ride and actually asks, it's still pretty early. Hey, do you want to see so-and-so? I don't know which one of her do- his daughters it is. But he's like, oh, do you want to go see so-and-so? She's at home if you guys want to hang out. And she's like, yeah, sure, why not? And she tells her sister like, oh, uh, this guy's just going to give me a ride home. I'll be home later, right? Yeah. They enter the house and uh, there's no sign of her friend. Ariel's like, oh, she's probably upstairs, like getting ready or something. Let's go. Let's go grab her. And when they go upstairs, he actually shows her Amanda or sorry. He shows Amanda a young woman who she doesn't know asleep in a room in front of the TV. And that like takes her aback because she's like, what are you showing me? And then he overpowers her 
and drags her back downstairs to the basement where he throws her down the stairs, duct tapes her and uses a belt to restrain her wrists and ankles. The motorcycle helmet goes on again and he chains her to a pipe and leaves her in the dark. God. He eventually takes Michelle's TV and tells Michelle that Amanda's getting your TV because Amanda's going to be my wife. Oh. And she deserves all the good things like a TV. Okay. And you don't. Wow. And by doing this, he's starting this like hierarchy with the girls that it's really fucked up because they're both in this fucked up situation. But he makes it very apparent from the beginning that he likes Amanda more. Of course. First of all, Amanda's actually young because the thing about Michelle is Michelle's very tiny and she at the time looked way younger than 19. Yeah. So she's assuming that he kidnapped her Thinking, thinking that she was a teenager teenager and once he found out that he had an adult and a mother like someone who already Gross. had a kid yeah he actually got really mad about that and then of course kidnapping somebody is already treating them like shit but he treated her real awful ever since finding all of that out well and you pointed out that she doesn't give him the satisfaction of the fear and the pain. Yes, that yeah. too. I'm getting there. Okay. Also, so Amanda's actually young and Amanda's very pretty. Amanda comes from a great home, solid family. She's this pretty blonde girl. She's um, not that Michelle's not pretty, but Michelle's had a hard life and they're very much opposite ends of the spectrum. Yeah. Amanda's like the goody goody kind of all Put American them in a high girl. School. Yeah. And you, it's very obvious mm -hmm, what girl you're talking about. And she is properly scared. She's doing the screaming and the scared mm -hmm. and the crying and the begging and all the shit that he Everything gets off on. Everything he wants. In uh, April 24th, he moves Amanda back upstairs to the bedroom that he was getting ready for her. He does chain her to the to the radiator and uh, brings the TV up and she watches her mom and sister on TV begging people for leads, any information. And she said that that really helped give her strength to like keep going for yeah. her mom and sister. She was going to like survive for them. Michelle gets a new TV, which is like a really shitty TV and it barely works. She barely gets any reception. But what she does see is the news. So she also sees Amanda's family begging for help, looking for Amanda. And, you know, it just kind of leads to a bit of jealousy. Well, I can't even imagine. So you're already going through all this torture, this physical, painful torture. And then to also just be so sad and so unloved and yeah. so alone. Yeah. And even to be going through this situation with another girl, but still be so alone. Yeah. I, it's crushing. And she doesn't see Amanda. She hasn't right. seen Amanda yet. So everything she knows about Amanda, she's getting from like the news or whatever. She just knows that Amanda's in the house. Yeah. And Ariel's not telling her, oh, I have her naked chained to a radio on a 
radiator on a filthy mattress. He's telling her like, I love her. She's my wife. And like, he's making it seem like she's getting it so much better than Michelle. Almost like that would hurt her more. He's playing mind games. Yeah. He's for sure doing it on purpose. Yeah. Cause she can like shut out and cope through the physical, but like the, the emotional torment this poor girl's going through. One week later, Ariel calls Amanda's mom on Amanda's cell phone. Yeah, you can do ice in a in a daddy. He calls sorry, he calls Amanda's mom on Amanda's cell phone and basically tells her, "Look, we're in love. We got married and she's okay. Don't worry about her." And of course, Amanda's mom knows that this is fucking bullshit. And uh, begs for him to release her daughter, let her go. He ends up hanging up on her. She gets the FBI involved. And, you know, this is way back in 2003. So the technology that the FBI has uh, created, I don't know, came up with to track cell phones is very new. So it's like dicey, right? I was actually a little, well, I guess I wasn't that surprised, but well, in 2003, the fact that she had a cell phone as a teenager, I mean, I guess we did too, but it was a very new thing. Yeah. They weren't great. They were not great. Um, but they do have this technology. They narrow down that her cell phone is within this like 30 to 40 block kind of around Ariel's house. It's okay. basically Ariel's neighborhood, right? And even at one point, they have an FBI van parked about a thousand feet away from Ariel Castro's Crazy. house. Crazy. But after one week, the cell phone has completely died, so they can't get a signal, and they got nothing to go off of, and with no clues, eventually Amanda's case goes cold as well. That's bonkers. So we already talked about how even though Amanda's in just as shitty of a situation as Michelle, Michelle thinks that she has it a lot easier. This is due to Ariel's bullshit mind games. It also leads to the fact that Michelle gets raped and beat to an absolute extreme. Yeah. And the reason why, at least what he's telling Michelle, is that he needs to take out all of his, like, deepest, darkest, violent acts on her because he couldn't do that to his wife, Amanda. Amanda. Yeah. Although he is raping Amanda... He is aggressively hardcore beating the shit out of Michelle. Yeah. And that's so that way he can get it out of his system. So that way he can just treat Amanda right. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And he has it in his head, by the way, that like, this is great. He's like, Amanda Amanda loves me. We're married. He pictures Michelle's like a concubine, basically. Like, no, he has it. One year later, April 2nd, 2004, 14-year-old Gina de Jesus is walking home from school with one of Ariel's daughters, Arlene. They are good friends from school. The girls stop to use a payphone to um, ask their moms because they want to have a sleepover. And actually, Gina's mom is for it. She says yes. But Arlene's mom, Gramilda, says no. no. No, no, no. It's not that. They just had plans. Okay. They had, you know, they're living, I think, like a normal life now that they got away from Ariel. Gotcha. So she's like, no, we have stuff going on this weekend. And the girls are disappointed. But they're like, all right. And they decide then at the payphone to go their separate ways and each walk home separately. Okay. Ugh. I have chills. Then 
Arlene's dad, Ariel, stops Gina and asks if she's seen Arlene. And she said, yeah, I was just with her. She's on her way home. And he goes, oh, okay. can you show me which way she went? And so Gina, who, again, is only 14 years old and has um, a bit of like a learning disability. And it's her friend's dad. She was just with her friend. Yeah. She gets in the car. Right. To go show him which way Arlene went. And he starts driving the opposite way because he tells her that um, he forgot there's some money that he wanted to give Arlene. So he's just going to stop by the house. Mm-hmm. Grab the money mm-hmm. and then can you show me which way Arlene went and we'll give her the money. He, you know, offers her to come inside and she instantly gets like weird vibes from him. He's acting real weird and real erratic. He's even like trimming his facial hair and like the music's up real loud and it's just weird. Yeah. And eventually he ends up basically trying to like touch her and like make moves on her and she stops that and it's tracks and like fuck you get off of me and he apologizes and goes to like usher her out the door and like I'm so sorry I'm so sorry come on let's get out of here but instead of like ushering her out the front door he's ushering her to the basement door where again he throws her down the basement stairs she fights back like a motherfucker I'm sure our girl Gina fights back really hard she scratches him she bruises him she's screaming her head off He ends up like sitting on her back and finally gets her chained up and all of her screams are muffled by this like he plays loud music in the house all the time 24 7 yeah super loud that alone is torture enough for me you know what I mean and you would think the cops will get called more like for probably depends on what part of Cleveland it's in I guess and also how loud is it from the outside because the windows and stuff are always shut okay a month later is when Gina endures her first rape from Ariel, and then he moves her into the same room as Michelle. Which I think is a fucking weird move. They even, he chains them together. Yeah. So they obviously get pretty close. Michelle takes on sort of like a maternal type role of to course. Gina. They're chained together 24-7. Yeah. So even when he's like sexually assaulting them or beating them, if they have to go to the bathroom, whatever, they're chained up together. together. But it does mean that Michelle's life gets, I mean, a hairline better just because he's not beating her so badly or repeatedly throwing her down the stairs because he doesn't want to hurt Gina. So (laughs) there you go. Oh, my God. Eventually... The girls are allowed. I mean, we're talking about years go by here. Mm -hmm. Eventually, the girls are allowed to like be unchained long enough to like do chores in the house. But Ariel's a real dick about it. Things have to be done exactly the way he says. And if you're off by a millimeter, he's going to beat the fuck out of you. Cool. But I mean, at least you're unchained out of your room. I guess. Mm. Amanda is still clearly the favorite. In 2004, at this point, 2004, after Gina goes missing, the FBI have put together the fact that Amanda and Gina were probably taken by the same person. Again, nobody cares that Michelle exists. (laughs) But they finally figure out that these two girls, because it it was in the same area and same kind of circumstances around the same age, 
So they figure that out. And um, the moms, because again, Gina's family is just like Amanda's family, tight knit family. They're in the news. They're actively trying to find Gina. So the moms are now doing the talk show circuits. Yep. Anything to drum up news and conversation, mm-hmm. right? They're both featured on America's Most Wanted. Wow. Oprah, Montel Williams, which is what Amanda is watching when she sees her mom on oh. Montel Williams. Montel brings out this psychic who's a fucking fraud. And this psychic has the goddamn audacity to tell Amanda's mom that Amanda's, Amanda's dead. dead. And. um, Oh, my God. How fucking <laughs> furious would you be? Yeah. It's a lot to take on. Amanda doesn't. Or my, Amanda's mom. I don't think believes that psychic because Amanda's mom looks for Amanda until the day she dies, which is 2006. Amanda's mom dies of heart failure. Michelle actually knows about it first. She sees it on the news and she's the one who has to tell Amanda, which obviously Amanda's beyond devastated. Amanda starts throwing up because she's so upset, but then she just doesn't stop. It goes on and on for days, like past the point of it being grief. And Michelle, who's had a fucking kid before, is like, fuck, she's pregnant. Her heart breaks for Amanda all over again because Michelle's actually been pregnant five times by Ariel. Five. And every single time she finds out she's pregnant, Ariel beats her until she has a miscarriage. He'll starve her and beat her and throw her down the stairs until she has a miscarriage because he does not want any babies in this house five times she had to endure that so her heart breaks for amanda because she knows what's in amanda's future except for ariel wants to have a baby with amanda yeah so it becomes kind of like michelle as the only person with any sort of knowledge about pregnancy and babies becomes sort of her job to make sure that Amanda has a healthy pregnancy and it becomes her sole responsibility to make sure that Amanda gives birth to a healthy baby. And Ariel's like, if there is anything wrong with this baby, if it's dead, if it has a birth defect, if anything is wrong with this baby, I'm going to fucking kill you. If it looks too much like my ugly ass, right? God. Ugh. So on... Christmas Day, 2006, Michelle helps Amanda give birth, obviously in the house, to a baby girl. She comes out blue and she comes out not breathing. So Michelle, again, the only person who's dealt with babies before, uh, starts administering like infant CPR and she revives the baby and she saves the baby's life. The scariest, hardest thing I could ever think crazy to do to a baby. Are you kidding me? They're fragile little bodies. Well, and there's like a certain way you give a baby CPR. No, I know. But it's still, it's a lot to handle. Yeah. It's And I'm sure you have the mom hysterical and, and Just you've got birth. Ariel threatening to kill you. Yeah. Yeah. The whole time she was doing it, he was like yelling at her and like, yeah, if this baby dies, her. I'm going to fucking kill you. Yeah. Amanda names the baby Jocelyn, but the three girls can only call the baby pretty. Um, I don't know. That's just one of Ariel's weird rules. 
the baby grows up with the idea that the chain, the women are all still chained up and that the chains are their bracelets or their jewelry is what Ariel wants them to call the chains. But the three women band together to raise Jocelyn the best they can. And it's the only bright spot that happens in their lives of captivity. Again, very J.C. Lee Dugard. Of like course. this baby's a game changer. Yeah. They love this baby. They dote on baby Jocelyn. All three of them. This is a huge thing that happens. Also, Ariel loves this baby. The baby loves Ariel. They have a great relationship. Again, great dad. He was always a great dad to his kids. And so the baby kind of, I don't know if it, that she softens him up or he doesn't want to traumatize the kid too much or I don't know what the deal is, but it does lead to things like he stops chaining the women up. If he's home, he'll let them like intermingle between the rooms because he'll let he Jocelyn can, like run around as long as he's home. Yeah. And he can control everything when he's not home. Everyone's chained back up or they're not necessarily chained back up. But when he's not home, all the doors are locked again. Yeah. The bedroom doors are locked. The front door is locked. But when he's home, they have a little bit more freedom. And actually, um, he takes Jocelyn out of the house all the time. Yeah. He takes her on errands. He's part of some band. Uh, and so okay. he he takes her. He's a bass player. He takes her to like band practices and stuff. Yeah. And anyone who asks, he just tells them it's his girlfriend's daughter, his girlfriend's baby. And like who would question that? Probably nobody. A couple other slip ups happen. Uh, one, first of all, Ariel is a longtime school bus driver. It's what he does as a profession. And one time he's like asked to do a special, like a ride off his route. Basically, he's supposed to pick up these two disabled boys from their different houses, give them a ride to like basically like a therapy session and then drop them back off at home. So he does that. But when it's time to take him home, he takes the first boy home. The second boy, he like locks on the bus and then because he stops at a Wendy's to eat food while this disabled boy's locked on the bus. And then like I think he like has him for a little bit and then he ta- <laughs> and then he takes him home. And obviously the boy tells his parents and the parents are like, what the fuck? So the school gets involved. The police get involved and the police do show up to the house. Jesus. And knock on the door. But Ariel, of course, does not answer the door. And the police just assume it's because the music's too loud. He can't hear them knocking. The fucking music. And they leave. Oh, my God. The fucking music and these stupid fucking police. And because the the school ends up handling it and they handle it by the book. I don't know if that means that he's punished or he's suspended or he's fired. I'm not sure the outcome. But because the school's handling it, the police just... They're like, that's let it taken go. care of. Yeah. He didn't but, really break a law. No, he's, he's just, just being weirdo. Sus as fuck. But he cool. didn't technically. He didn't steal. Like, <laughs> he just borrowed. Another thing that happens is for some reason, he brings like his young grandson over to the house. I don't know if it's to play with Jocelyn. I don't know what the move here is, but he because he doesn't let his family come over, really. Okay. His kids and stuff, he, like, goes to them. So for some reason, he brings the grandson over. And the grandson's old enough to talk. Okay. So the grandson goes home and talks to whichever one of his kids. And I was like, this is And his kids are like, what the fuck? And so they call him, and the women hear him arguing on the phone with one of his daughters. 
so then he gathers up the three women and Jocelyn and lock them all in the basement. Like, you better be fucking quiet if anyone's here or I'm sure he's threatening to hurt people. So eventually his kids, at least a couple of his daughters, show up at his door. Yeah. And they're like, let us in. We want to see what the fuck is going on in here. And he kind he won't let them upstairs. He lets them in the house, but he won't like let them wander. Yeah. And they're really pushing it. They get into a huge family fight over it. And he holds his ground. This is and they end else. up leaving. Uh, and the kid said later on that basically they just assumed he was like all those years that he didn't let them into his house. They assumed he was like a hoarder. Like he they assumed that he had let the house get so bad that he was like embarrassed. embarrassed. So this obviously is a bit of a red flag situation, but just looking at around the living room and stuff, I don't think they had anything to really go off of. Yeah. So they end up just leaving. Okay. This has nothing to do with slip ups. But if I remember correctly, also his son grows up to be a journalist and he actually like reports on the girls like missing like updates and stuff. He'll like report on the girls missing. Weird. And he said, um, I'll get to that later because it's a bit of a spoiler. Um, but yeah, also like this family, because like his daughter Arlene is friends with Gina. Right. Mm-hmm. So this family, including Ariel, they go to like the candlelight vigils. Yeah. He's at all these community things for the missing girls. I was trying to think. I feel like there's another killer that did that. There's a bunch. Yeah. Where they go to their victims, whether it be their funeral. No, it happens a lot. Yeah. That's why detectives are always at those things, too, because they're like keeping a lookout. Mm -hmm. No, a lot of serial killers and rapists and stuff do that shit. uh, He actually leaves them in the basement for about a week just to cover his bases. And then he lets them back out. Including the girl. Including Jocelyn. Because how is he going to explain Jocelyn? It's just. But how do you get this little girl to go along with this shit? I guess she's probably used to it. I mean, she's used to these women being chained up to fucking radiators and shit. I mean, who knows what mm-hmm. her world from the time of birth. I mean, who knows what that would be I know. if that's all you know. True. May 6, 2013, 11 years after Michelle was abducted, Ariel finally has his biggest slip up of all. He leaves the house and he forgets to lock the bedroom doors. Oh, shit. Amanda wakes up to the sound of her six-year-old Jocelyn running around the house going, Daddy's gone. I can't find Daddy. Where's Daddy? And she goes, wait, you're running around the house? Because that's the thing is when he's gone. They're locked up. But Jocelyn is too. That's when you're like, oh, how does he get? It's all she knows. Yeah. So Daddy's gone and Jocelyn's running around the house. And Amanda jumps up immediately and runs to the front door, which is wired with an alarm. So you have the front door, which is wired with an alarm. And then you have like a storm door, okay. which is like padlocked. Mm-hmm. And so she's like, fuck it. And she opens up the front door, trips the alarm. Who cares? She can't get the storm door open, but she can like squeeze her arm out. And she's waving her arm and I'm she's screaming. screaming at the top of her lungs. When... uh, Meanwhile, Gina and Michelle, who are upstairs assume that Amanda's been caught by Ariel trying to escape and they're too scared to leave their room. So like, no, 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 no. We're, We're just going to stay gonna, here. Yeah. 
a neighbor, Charles Ramsey, is walking by when this happens and he obviously sees what's going on. He comes in. He kicks in the storm door. Amanda grabs Jocelyn and runs to a neighbor's house to call 911. She tells them that she's Amanda Berry. She was kidnapped 10 years ago and she just escaped. The police arrive immediately and show up to the house. So it takes Gina and especially Michelle a long time to first of all even believe that those are police officers. To process. They think it's a trick. Mm -hmm. They think it could be people in costumes. Gina slowly comes down first, followed by Michelle once she realizes that Gina's okay. Um, Gina says that when she tells the police officers her name, it looks like they've seen a ghost. Yeah. She says they their jaw drops, the color leaves their face. They can't believe that they're seeing her. And once Michelle realizes that it's real and that they're actually police officers, she grabs onto the closest police officer and just won't let go. Yeah. She just hugs onto him and won't let go of him. Of course, the women and Jocelyn are taken to a hospital where within four days they're all discharged four days i mean i think michelle was there for four days i think the other women were discharged pretty early on okay ariel is arrested may 6th 6th 2013 he's initially charged with four counts of kidnapping three counts of rape and his bail is set at two million dollars per kidnapping count so eight million altogether dang Later, his true bill of indictment comes out, which is actually he's being charged with 977 counts. That's 512 counts of kidnapping, 446 counts of rape, seven counts of gross sexual imposition, six felony assaults, three counts of child endangerment, two counts of aggravated murder, and one count of possession of criminal tools. He pleads guilty to 937 of those counts. What's um, a count? Like, how many times, I guess. That's weird. I, but I think it's because he had them for so long that yeah. it, like, adds up. Okay. You know what I mean? I yeah. don't know how they got to those numbers, but it's a shit ton. That's just a bizarre way to calculate it, right? I guess so. Yeah. I know. It is weird. So he pleads guilty, not to all of them, to most of them. He does, however, blame his abusive childhood and his sexual addiction on the way, the reason he is the way he is. He basically is like, I'm a sex addict. It's all I know. But like inside, I'm a good person. Like I'm actually a good person. I just can't control what my addiction makes me do. Right, 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 right. He is sentenced to life in prison plus an additional 1,000 years with no possibility of parole and he and no right to an appeal. Good. I believe that's why he ended up pleading guilty was it was kind of like a plea bargain because even though that's a very harsh sentence, um, basically, he was bargaining death off the table because they wanted to sentence him to death. Oh, I mean, really, bro, you should have just taken the death sentence. I mean, what does it matter? It's all the fucking same. Mm-hmm. The, I mean, do you really want to live with these inmates and how That's they're going to fucking saying. treat you? I'm like, you should have just taken it. But people taken... stay on death row for a life anyways. Yeah, you should have just taken it. 
Before sentencing, the court did hear from Amanda and Gina's families. They didn't speak, but their families spoke for them. Our girl Michelle did speak for herself, though. Fuck yeah, she did. And she ended what she had to say with the following quote. I spent 11 years in hell, and now year hell is just beginning. I will overcome all this that happened, but you will face hell for eternity. From this moment on, I will not let you define me or affect who I am. I can forgive you, but I will never forget. Ariel Castro was found hanging in his cell on September 3rd, 2013, very shortly after this trial. They're not sure if he committed suicide or if it was accidental suicide due to sexual asphyxiation or whatever. Oh. You know, when you hang yourself and jerk Hard off. to get off. Mm-hmm. Amanda and Gina, of course, were reunited with their families. Michelle's mom tried it. And tried to convince Michelle and the world that actually she had a great childhood. Sure. And it was Ariel's brainwashing that like rewired Michelle's memory to think she had a shitty childhood. And it was also Ariel's brainwashing that led her to not do a fucking thing to find her daughter. So Michelle never went back with her family. She like starts went to like a different like she went to like a shelter or something not like a shelter shelter but like she went she was housed somewhere else Mm -hmm. they helped her find a different place to be than not with her family the city of cleveland came together they donated money all of the neighbors and the people of the community to take care of the girls medical funds um they also donated to like their um like victim accounts we've talked about this before to like help people like get back on their feet house stupid panini were like bitch panini, better pay like, that took money advantage. back and, yeah. Mm-hmm, yeah but they raised a couple million to split amongst the girls to help them get on their feet i keep saying girls they're women at this point at this point they eventually demolished the house on seymour avenue Ooh. they found i want to say they found money in the in the house they found something and they offered it to the women and they all denied it they're like we don't don't want want any fucking thing to do with that house Mm -hmm. so they demolished the house on seymour avenue and it is now a community garden both amanda and gina remain close um they both became honorary graduates high school graduates gina got her quinceanera that Mm -hmm. she missed uh, she they go on to write a book together called Hope, a memoir of survival in Cleveland. Amanda is still raising now teenage Jocelyn. Uh, she works with like a local news station to do segments about missing kids and adults in the Cleveland area. In 2018, Gina found the Cleveland Family Center for Missing Children and Adults. They basically work with families that have missing loved ones and just help the families which i think this is really important because we hear this all the time and she said it really affected her family that they didn't get any kind of like help or guidance so basically they're helping the family members navigate the media yeah work with the police make sure that they're getting all of their rights and their voices heard which i think is important yeah very cool and she actually opened that on the same street as Ariel Castro's house was located because she says she wants to turn the she wants to change the energy of the neighborhood. She yeah. wants to make it like a positive like a thing. fuck you. Uh-huh, like I got this. 
Michelle uh, changed her name to Lily Rose Lee. She, all three women are in the media. She's the most in the media. When she was rescued, um, she only weighed 80 pounds. And she was, doctors say that she was days away from dying because she had a horrible bacterial infection in her stomach. Uh, Her ongoing abuse at the hands of Ariel and captivity have led to lifelong health problems from those bad infections. Her eyesight's shot from being in the dark so much. She has all kinds of... Multiple miscarriages. She's has lifelong health problems but she does fall in love she gets married she um ends up working with like abuse victims and she also likes to work with animals and she'll like bring them together because she says the animals are so therapeutic for so much the victims she also tours around uh like battered women's shelters just to kind of speak to the women and reach out um, she's uh, author of multiple books. I think she's written, I think, like three books to date. Unfortunately, um, the family who adopted Joey has denied contact with yeah. her son. But he is living a good life, which she's really grateful for. And they do send her updates, pictures, and, you know, little blurbs about That's him. Nice. And she just hopes that one day when he's an adult and he can make the choice for himself... She doesn't want to, like, step in and take over as his mom or change his life. She just hopes that they can, like... To be so selfless. <laughs> oh, my God. She just hopes that they can, like, meet for coffee one day and just, like, talk. Oh. She, for whatever reason, since the rescue, has not been in contact with Gina or Amanda. Um, and she just says that, basically, they're all on separate journeys. And she hopes the best for them and... She hopes the best for herself and maybe one day they'll reconnect. But right now she's just kind of letting everybody live their own lives. Wow. And that is the Cleveland abductions. It's a rough one. It's always a rough one. Those are so much harder than murder cases. They really are. They always make me tear up. Yep. It's so emotional. Well, and it's just so hard to, cause we're mom. So I mean, it's hard no matter what one thinking of your baby being taken is awful. And then thinking about being in Michelle's position, like thank God her son got a great life, but, but it's a lot to give up after already having so much taken from you. So I'm really happy to hear cause they leave it kind of open in the movie um, that she gets updates on her son. Yeah. And also it was very interesting reading her interview Obviously, she doesn't have anything positive about her captivity to say. But she does note that had she not been taken by Ariel, she wouldn't be where she is now. And she's really grateful for who she is now. She said if she wouldn't have been taken, she could very easily see herself becoming an addict going to prison dying being murdered the strength of this woman that i picture to be so small like you said like tiny right she i feel like i just want to like put her in my pocket but like she just feels like the strong man yeah like the amount of everything that she carried and dealt with and endured it's just shocking yeah i can't there you go. It makes me feel like such a pussy. <laughs> oh yeah. I would have just just I mean done. 
That's okay. I hope, knock on wood, and I'm sure I'm sure she would want this for us too, that we get to live our lives in full pussyhood, oh, that right. we never have that tested. Oh my God. I'm fine being a pussy and living my life exactly how it is right now. I mean, just the way that you ended it, the Cleveland abduction 2015, just no fucking around. Yeah. They're jumping right in. The first thing that we see is the image of her suspended like hogtied mm-hmm. like doing this slow circle dangling from the ceiling oh god like that's that's how they open the fucking movie yeah we don't know anything because i don't know anything at right. this point i don't know who this person is and then they flash from that to a mom and a son and they're happily singing and playing. <clears throat> and she goes on to explain to her son that she has to leave him with the grandma for the day. She needs to go out and look for a job. Okay. All right. So we know now that the mom is Michelle Knight, played by Taryn Manning. Oh, yeah. That's the only person I saw on the like cover of the movie. And she's telling her mom how to take care of Joey, who I guess is around four at this point. Okay. Um, and now, besides Taryn Manning, I guess the guy that played Ariel, Ariel Castro is kind of famous. I, I mean, the only thing I recognized him from is I'm pretty sure he was in Breaking Bad. Okay. But which I, did, I never watched. Yeah, which so I didn't mention him, but other than that, like it's a it's a nothing cast. It's okay. just Terrence carrying it. Yeah. When Michelle drops Joey off with grandma, it's very clear that they don't have a good relationship. Michelle's being very specific about the way that she expects her son to be cared for mm-hmm. while she's out. And the mom's like, I raised you, didn't I? And it's like, bitch, barely. Right. <laughs> Technically, not really. Michelle applies for a job at a laundromat. She doesn't get it because she never graduated from high school. She didn't get to graduate because she had to take care of her son mm-hmm. because she had no support. Right. When she gets home, she sees that the front door has been left open. She finds her son playing on the floor with a open half drank bottle of whiskey. Lovely. So she's like, well, fuck, did he drink that? This guy's passed out. This guy, Carlos, is passed out on the couch. So she tries to wake up Carlos like, hey. What the fuck's going on? Where's my mom? Carlos goes to grope her. So I'm assuming this is this guy in her life uh-huh. that we talked about. Um, Joey tries to come to her defense and Carlos fucking knocks him the fuck out. Like f- throws him oh, across God. the room. Poor Joey. Yeah. So, of course, Michelle rushes him to the hospital and tells the nurses that he fell off the slide at school. Mm-hmm. They know that it's signs of abuse. Child Protective Services get involved and he is put into a foster home. I have no idea how much time is going by throughout the whole movie. It's very 
clipped together. Okay. So at this point, I'm seeing Michelle coming home from a visit with Joey. Mm -hmm. And she's telling her neighborhood friend, Emily, that she's planning on moving in with her cousin. And after she's settled, she might be able to bring Joey home. Okay. And Emily is, I'm assuming, one of Ariel's daughters. Because he has an Emily. Exactly. Emily gets picked up by her dad, who we don't see yet. Mm -hmm. We just see the truck. And Michelle makes a comment like, wow, must be nice to have a dad who actually shows up for you. (laughs) Yeah. But Emily's like, "Mm mm-mm. Like, don't get it mixed up. Like... He's cool and all, but this isn't happily ever after. Mm-hmm. Like, my parents are split up. It is what it is. We see on the morning of, I guess, I assumed it was like a court hearing, but you were talking about these meetings with yeah. Child Protective Services, right? She's getting ready. She's upbeat. She's like listening to music or whatever. Her mom calls. It's her mom. That, of course, drops the ball, won't come and pick her up, Mm -hmm. causing her to then have to go and walk and get lost. And we see her at the market where she's telling the cashier her situation. And Ariel comes to introduce himself like, hey, I'm Emily's dad. She's like, oh, yeah, I saw you the other day. Mm -hmm. He obviously offers her the ride. Immediately, the truck is filthy and he jokes like oh you know single dad don't get around to having you know many people I don't know whatever yeah again she also notices the handle on the door and he mentions the puppies and the whole thing and so they pull up to his house and she's trying to get out and she can't But then she sees the German Shepherd in the backyard and she's like, oh, is that the dog? Like, are these the puppies? He's like, yeah, of course. She's like, well, where are the puppies? Mm -hmm. He's like, oh, they're upstairs. We had to give the mom dog a break, right? Because they need space from their puppies. Right. (laughs) I thought that the truck was bad his house is fucking disgusting but again he makes a comment like oh I'm a bachelor single guy whatever and really Michelle's seen worse at this point in her life so um, I also feel like she's comforted when she sees the pictures of the kids on the wall of course right it's like oh those are my quote unquote friends once upstairs inside a pink like pink pink room yeah he closes the door behind them and she immediately knows and she goes for the window but he gets to her first and he throws her to the floor and the whole time it's obvious that never once is michelle like focusing on the situation that's happening to her she is so consumed in the i'm missing this meeting I'm going to lose my baby. Right. Like all she's thinking about is Joey. Like in the panic of everything that's happening, she's just like, again, so selfless. And she's just like, fuck, I'm going to let my kid down. Right. And I'm just dying. Castro masturbates while telling Michelle 
how his bitch wife took his kids and left him with no one to take care of him and his needs. And so he needs to keep her for a while. Mm -hmm. And that's why he's going to tie her up. Uh, He smashes her glasses. So it's hard for her to see. Does she have glasses in real life? She has glasses in real life now. But I don't know if she started off with glasses. I know her eyesight's fucked now. Mm Mm-hmm. Uh, took all of her personal belongings, ripped up the only picture she had of her son, and then shoves a sock in her mouth, which he then puts duct tape over. And then we've got this little pulley system, right, that he, like, cranks her up on. Oh, boy. Whew. So while suspended, Michelle can see out a window. She can see the people outside living their life. And... Again, no sense of time for me. She's up there all day, all night. You said three days. Three days. Mm-hmm. And uh, during that time, we do see the mom report her missing. But of course, like you mentioned, police are like, it's kind of typical behavior. She's run away before. Maybe this was the easy way out. And the mom's like, well, I don't disagree. <laughs> yeah. And then finally, like I said, after who knows how long, Castro does finally come to see Michelle where he brings her that lovely dry fucking egg McMuffin (laughs) from McDonald's, which he's like, it's one of my favorites. This is a real sticking point for you on every kidnapping episode. It really is. Is you hate, you forget everything else that happens to them. The food. The food and the fact that they're so thirsty and they keep feeding these people like dry, stale food. So this is where it all comes back to episode 21 the torture and death of sylvia likens yep the girl next door next door right they kept her hanging up for days and then gave her the fucking dried toast that she threw up and then they made her eat the throw up and like you mentioned episode 38 the kidnapping and torture of colleen stan and box in both cases I also feel like it's the abuse of power where they come across as like oh, yeah. these good parents, mm-hmm. right? That they lured, like they tricked the people into thinking like with uh, Jan and Cam Hooker, right? And the baby in the car seat. Yeah. Like, oh, come on, get in the car. We're good people. And this is where we need to pause. So I think it was... Tuesday or whatever that we were texting and you had brought up that there's a show that mentions our town Uh and then I had brought up the what is unsolved mysteries Uh on Netflix Uh and you're like what the fuck could it possibly be about yeah it's about Jan and Cam Hooker oh really yeah Mm. it's about the victim that he killed before they kidnapped Colleen yeah because they took um they took they lived in a city, you know, close. driving distance mm-hmm. from us. I yeah. won't say how close. Yeah. Close enough. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So the whole time. So there's a person in town. And that, I think, do we talk about her? Barely. In that episode? Barely. But yeah, barely. I do remember there being another victim. So the movie started with them burying the victim. Yes. 
But because they've never found her body, mm-hmm. they can't be charged for it. But Jan has admitted, like, it's absolutely Cam. He killed this woman. Okay. I just, I can't find her. I need her. to watch that episode. It's a great episode. Fantastic. It's so good. So, back to this. Okay. And he did, I kind of didn't, I forgot to, like, go into this, but um, he only ever fed them junk food, fast food. Of course. But he never fed them on a regular basis, and... He definitely used like starvation or withholding of food as not only like a punishment, but also to keep them like kind of lethargic. Mm, Like they were never fully at strength. They were never like well fed and like ready to rumble. No, that's so he definitely keeps them that way on purpose. That makes a lot of sense. Finally, we see Castro untie Michelle. He drags her down the stairs to the basement where he rapes her for the first time. And she comforts herself by thinking about her son. And I'm reminded of episode 72 with the kidnapping of J.C. Lee Dugard. Mm -hmm. Ties Michelle to the metal beam, hands behind her back. And tells her that Emily, his daughter, told him that all the neighbors are saying that she took off and abandoned her son. Right. And that's why no one's coming to look for her. Great. Really dig it in. He shoves tissue into her mouth and then the motorcycle helmet over her head and leaves her in the cold, dark basement. We hear a doorbell ring upstairs and it's Castro's mom visiting They're speaking in Spanish, and Michelle does her best to, like, bang her head on the metal beam to be heard. She fights hard enough that she actually gets one of her hands free, but not soon enough before Castro's already walking down the stairs and, like, laughing at her efforts. Like, yeah, nice try, bitch. Yeah. Good luck with that. He shoves some of his mom's spaghetti into her mouth. Ugh, gross. And then puts the gag back in. Gross. Like, as she's still, like, trying to chew and swallow, right? Puts the helmet back on her head and then leaves so he can go jam with his band upstairs. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Whatever night after raping her, he decides to tell her that he wished he didn't need to do this, but he was also hurt as a kid molested by someone that he trusted to watch out for him and he starts to cry on top of her oh great as if it's not bad enough now i have to deal with your emotions i can't right god she tries to use this moment of vulnerability to her advantage but like we've seen time and time again it's like when you try to twist it back on them they just get pissed off yeah and end up beating the shit out of you so he carries her upstairs and throws her onto a strip mattress and he chains her up naked and leaves her for who knows how long um eventually it's christmas (laughs) i think she was taken during the summer yeah so that's like mm -hmm, exactly so that's my time and uh she is a shell of herself she is starved and beaten and dirty but he brought her a TV because mm-hmm. he's the best. Amazing. Right? And there's one rule. She can't watch anything that has like African Americans in it. 
Okay. Apparently, not only is he a torturer and a rapist, he's also racist as fuck. How interesting that they literally they just put that in the movie. Then that's amazing. Nobody ever mentioned all those articles. That podcast. No, it was a very like you don't watch any. Wow. Nope. What a weird detail to just <laughs> sprinkle in there. Good for them. Okay. Just fucking drag his name to film. Just like yeah, I'll start making shit up now. Why not? Let's Could you imagine Ariel Castro's ghost is like, listen, I was I a, lot a lot of fucking, of fucking things. <laughs> That's not but fucking was racist. Cool. Okay. <laughs> I love black people. My best friend's black. He's the guitarist in my band. I'm going to die. Okay. <laughs> oh, my goodness. All right. Apparently, in her free time, Michelle has taken up writing a song for her son, which Castro hears her singing to herself one day. And he makes her sing it for him. And they, like, have a little jam session. Okay. (laughs) And then, eventually, he reads a song that she wrote about him. Oh, God. I know. (laughs) And he gets his feelings hurt. (laughs) So, he tapes her mouth shut so she can't sing anymore. This motherfucker. Come on. How can you stifle an artist's expression like this? Okay. We do see one day that Castro's kids do come to visit. Mm-hmm. Emily tries to go upstairs, but he tells her that he's like renovating mm-hmm. or like remodeling or mm-hmm. something. And so he recommends that they all go have a barbecue outside. <laughs> Michelle is again trying to bang her head as loud as she can against the bed. And for doing so, for trying to alert his kids, she gets the shit beaten out of her. Oh, man. Okay. For whatever reason, at this point, he decides to allow her the simplest things in life, like some bare minimum clothes, Mm -hmm. like some underwear and a tank top and a bucket that is your sink and your toilet. Yeah. And a, a toothbrush. With nothing. He catches Michelle talking to herself a lot while being locked up alone all day. And we get the puppy. And I thought it was fitting. I'm like, you lured her in with the puppy. Why not get her a fucking puppy? Right. Garbage human. Although I feel bad for the puppy because the puppy probably never gets to go outside either. So he leaves. And... This is when we see for the first time, like you mentioned, the school bus, right? So when he leaves, he doesn't click it all the way. Like he pretends like he's going to leave to go to work and makes her think that he's fucked up, but he's waiting for her at the end of the stairs. Yeah. And that's how it ends up going down. And so he throws her to the ground and basically shatters her knee Oof. and then breaks the puppy's neck Aww. and throws it at her because it's her fault that he yeah. had to do that to the puppy. How are you doing in this moment watching the movie, B? 
I'm already so fucked up for everything that's happened yeah. to her. I'm just like, it, this is fitting almost. It just, it's in line with everything that's going to go on. And that was some of the mind games he would play is he would set the girls up to like test to see if they would escape and if they would try to escape and yeah. he would fuck them up. Mm-hmm. And so, uh, that's it actually takes Amanda a, a minute. I said she jumped up and ran to the door. It took her a minute because she thought it was a test. Yeah. And then she was like, fuck it. Fuck it. Yeah. Mm-mm. It's a new night. And Castro's brought home a new girl, Amanda Berry. The first time Michelle sees Amanda, Michelle's restrained on the bed. And Amanda is trying to run, but gets overpowered by Castro, who knocks her unconscious and carries her upstairs. And then eventually we see that it's been four weeks since her disappearance and nine months at this point for Michelle. Right. All this time, no one's been looking for Michelle and all Michelle sees on the news is everyone looking for Amanda. Yep. Mm Mm-hmm. We also see at this point that Michelle is throwing up and clutching her stomach, Mm -hmm. saying, no, please, no. The two girls are kept separated, only allowed to talk to each other if Castro's present. And if he catches them trying to talk while he's not around, he's going to kill one of them. So Michelle doesn't give a fuck. She's still trying to talk to Amanda, but Amanda's scared. Two months after Amanda's disappearance, we now know Michelle is for sure pregnant. Her underwear is starting to like rip at the seams. Mm -hmm. And when Castro figures this out, he beats her in the stomach with a dumbbell. Mm. And while he's doing this, he's telling her it's because he doesn't want her ugly ass babies. God, it hurts so bad. So bad. He also decides after doing this that he needs help in the yard. <laughs> so he dresses Michelle up in a wig and takes her outside. And Michelle has the opportunity to like mouth help to the neighbor. Mm-hmm. But the old man just shakes his head and walks back inside. <laughs> what? Mm-hmm. Yeah, there's definitely no record of that happening. <clears throat> so desperate. No help in sight. No one gives a fuck about her. Michelle tries to kill herself. She tries to stab herself in the wrist with the ballpoint pen. But eventually she thinks about her son and she stops. New night. Michelle is woken by the sounds of a woman screaming. But it's not coming from Amanda's room. Castro has another girl. Gina. The youngest yet grabbed her walking home from middle school. Gina's friends with Castro's daughter, Leanne, and offered her a ride. And of course, she didn't think anything of it. Michelle's the only one who can keep these girls alive, like keep them going. Right. She's constantly reassuring them. Like, look at the people who still care about you. Look at the people who want to see you safe and brought home. 
you know, you have that, you have that to look forward to once you get out of here. Mm-hmm. Gives them all hope. And while she's keeping up their spirits, we see fucking Castro trying to keep up Gina's mom's spirit at her candlelit vigil. Yeah. Where they like embrace, they hug and shit. I'm like, oh my fucking psychopath. God. Like, you know how much we care about your daughter. Bitch. I hope you're ran over by a train. And how much we want to see her come home safe and sound. And then, to top it off, he goes back to show Gina this on the news. Perfect. Like, look, I saw your mom. I assume he's running out of space, and that's why he decides to room Michelle and Gina together. Or, again, like you said, because Amanda's like his golden girl. She gets to have her own room. I don't know. But the whole fucking thing is weird. And one night, Castro comes to rape Gina but Michelle offers herself instead he doesn't want anything to do with her Mm -hmm. like we've talked about and so we see Michelle and Gina like hold hands Mm. while he rapes Gina how awful we also see on their spare time Michelle and Gina start to work out like they're trying to do crunches and push ups when they can be strong Mm -hmm. as much as they can because, like you said, he's trying to do this to just keep them lethargic and yeah. not able to escape. For whatever reason, we see Castro in a very good mood one day, and he invites Gina and Michelle downstairs for a family dinner with Amanda when he announces Amanda's going to have a baby. Oh, boy. You can imagine how this makes Michelle feel. Yeah. Michelle delivers Amanda's baby in a plastic kids pool in the upstairs base or in the upstairs bedroom and gives the baby mouth to mouth to resuscitate her. We see on home recordings 1227-07 Castro is watching Jocelyn take her first steps. 122909 video footage of Jocelyn blowing out the candles on her birthday cake. Uh, upstairs in her room, Michelle is keeping track of how old her son would be, 13 at this point. Crazy. Mm-hmm. 320 Amanda walks us through a day in Jocelyn's homeschooling. 9 to 9.30, she has reading, followed by art, her favorite subject, blah, blah, blah. Jocelyn refers to Michelle as Auntie Juju and Gina as Auntie Chelsea. Okay. Whatever. Castro is out of work at this point, obviously, like you said, fucked up. Yeah. For whatever reason. He's behind on bills, and now, because of that, only Amanda and Jocelyn are getting real food. He's feeding Michelle and Gina food from other people's garbage. Cool. Mm-hmm. So, Michelle, who was already small and thin, is so fucking malnourished, like you were saying. Like, looks like she's days from death. Yeah. Has a fever, the whole thing. 
Jocelyn, I'm assuming, is now around the age Joey was, like four, mm-hmm. when she starts to ask questions. Like, why can't mommy and the aunties go outside and, like, take me to the park? Why are you the only one who can take me places? Right. All the girls know that this is going to piss Castro off. Right? It's just going to make him mad. So they're doing whatever they can to keep her quiet. And this is why I always question is I can't keep Violet quiet for the fucking life of me. So I'm like trying to picture this four to five year old girl to not ask questions and to not fucking talk. Literally all Zoe does is ask questions and make comments about what's going on around Mm -hmm. her. Yeah, I know. That's the only thing I can think of is, um, of course, kids are going to do it no matter what, because that's the nature of four or five, six year olds. But, you know, it's the difference between raising your kid in that environment versus raising your kid in an environment where it's okay. where we want them to ask questions yeah. and whatever, even though it never fucking ends. <sighs> At night, Castro is forcing Michelle to dig what he says is going to be a garden, but what she feels is like digging her own grave. Yeah. And she's already malnourished. Now you get to do manual labor. Mm-hmm. So another day out of food, Castro goes to his mom's house for leftovers. And this is when we see that he doesn't close the door all the way. Oh, my gosh. We hear Jocelyn tell her mom about daddy's mistake. And so she runs downstairs and screams, drawing the attention of multiple neighbors who come. And they're like, what the fuck is going on? Yeah. Could you imagine? Almost not believing Amanda when she tells them who she is. Like, oh, no, that girl's been dead for years. Mm-hmm. Like, that that's not possible. Gina and Michelle, still locked upstairs, have no idea what's going on. So when the cops arrive and shout out for them, they think it's all like a trick. Of course. They refuse to come, so they hide. And even when they see the uniforms, they can't believe it's actually happening, that they're being saved after over 10 years. So fucking crazy. Um, Another thing that's so fucking crazy is me just sobbing (laughs) like I can't like again when they did they show Michelle just like clutching the cop and not letting go like get me the fuck out of this house like do not let go of me everyone's taken to the hospital where I thought it was interesting that all the male doctors nurses and police officers are told to leave only female people that's nice I, that's i was like fuck yeah yeah that's awesome mm-hmm. of course the other girls are quickly reunited with their friends and their family but no one comes to claim michelle and she has no way of knowing how to find joey an fbi agent brings her a burger with fries and a cheesecake blizzard from dairy queen in hopes of asking her some questions But when he hands her the napkin, she flinches away because that's what he would use to keep her quiet. Mm. He would shove the napkin, the dry fucking napkin down her throat. 
Eventually, Michelle's mom tries to visit, but we all know the damage has been done. Michelle gets released from the hospital <clears throat> where she's taken to like a really nice apartment. And so like, I'm assuming at this point, this is where the funding comes in. Yeah. Right. The victim funding. Um, and the FBI officer tells her uh, about the situation with Joey. And he's like, I'll do whatever I can to help you. Gina does meet up with Michelle and they have this little moment at like a fountain where Gina basically tells Michelle like we can't talk anymore. My parents want me to move on from this. Oh interesting. I thought so. Yeah especially hmm. after you said that Amanda and Gina are very close. Yeah. yeah. So that's an interesting take. On top of her losing this relationship with Gina, the foster parents, like you said, that adopted Joey decide it's in his best interest that he not have a relationship with Michelle. Yeah, it's just heartbreaking. Ugh. So basically, like the one thing she fought to stay alive for, she yeah. doesn't even get the opportunity. Yet. She hasn't right. adopted you yet. You never know. Maybe yeah. one day. I can certainly hope. I mean, like, she asks at this point, can I even know if his name is still Joey? Mm-hmm. And he's like, we can't release that information to you. Crazy. The FBI agent can see how upset she is and offers, like, here's a lawyer. You could fight this. But she's like, I'm not trying to fuck up my kid's life. Right. Because she's the best. So trying to start over, we see Michelle doing her hair and her makeup and she's trying to like get herself ready. But inside her head, all she can hear is Castro telling her you're ugly. Nobody loves you. Right. She goes to the court and she testifies and she tells the jurors the horrors of everything that happened to her for all those years. And as the movie ends. Uh, the FBI agent shows up with a picture of Joey. Aww. And I'm dying. Sobbing. Just dying. And these notes. Ariel was sentenced to life plus 100 years in prison. He hung himself one month into a sentence. Michelle wrote an international bestseller. And she's currently working towards a culinary career in Cleveland. Okay. That's that. Maybe that's what she was doing back in, when was this, 2015, 16? Yep, 15. Okay. So there you go. How many knives do you give it? Oh, a solid four. Okay, it good was, movie. It was a great movie. Hard they, to watch, but it's yeah, hard to watch because they nailed it's a good it. movie. Yeah, I mean, to make him a racist <laughs> and then to cut <laughs> off the relationship with the girls and, right, like her whole thing with Gina there at the end, it's a little bonkers, but... Yeah, everything else. They yeah. fucking, they nailed it. Fantastic. It Lifetime does it again. Again. So, like I said, what I saw on the internet, it looked like it was originally a I Lifetime. I think it is. I think it was on the list when I was looking at yeah. movies. Mm-hmm. But, again, they do a great job. Like, you didn't even know when you were watching it that uh, Girl in the Box was a Lifetime movie. And I re-listened to that episode after seeing the thing on Unsolved Mysteries. And I even said at the beginning, it was like, it had a warning. And mm. 
we even mentioned like i think this is the first time we've had like a warning like yeah, we've had an it's inter- it was for tv yeah it's like this is some fucked up shit yeah all right well there you go there's that check that off the old list okay what are we doing um so for the look of the week oh yeah your look of the week I think it would be fun because I've got an abundance of caution tape that we try to do this. Okay. With me like cover. behind the door. Mm-hmm. But it obviously has to be during the day. Mm-hmm. So I'll figure I'll come by on like Sunday afternoon or you come by our place on Sunday afternoon and we let the girls play and we just quickie okay. tape up and take a pick. Okay. Sounds great. And then do you want to re-review the perfume or do we just let it, let it die? We'll just let it linger. Yeah. We'll just let it linger. I'm tired. It's a work night for me. I know. I so know. I'm getting tired. But um, hey, hopefully you guys hear this. <laughs> hopefully this makes it to, the, to your local streaming service. <gasps> and if it does, I hope that you enjoy it. I hope you give us maybe a five star review like review appreciate the check comments. us out on THC podcast on instagram we love to hear from you guys um we're gonna cut it it's not really short it's been two hours but we're gonna cut it a little short because i'm tired oh, no, for sure i can't wait to go to bed but we love y'all and thanks for listening and we will see you next time bye, bye.